This is the Nordic Asia podcast. So welcome. This is the first of our Nordic Asia podcast series. Uh, this is a series of podcasts that are co-hosted by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen and by the Center for East Asian Studies at Turku University in Finland. I'm Duncan McCargo. I am the director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies. I'm also a professor of political science at the University of Copenhagen. So I'm particularly interested in uh, the topic we're going to talk about today, which is the very recent Korean parliamentary elections. And I'm joined to have a conversation about those elections by Sabine Burkhardt, who is a university lecturer at the Center for East Asian Studies at Turku University. Hello. Hello, Sabine. Now, it would be so nice if we were again together in the same place and we could have a lovely lunch or dinner and, and talk over these things, but we're going to have to do this virtually under the, the circumstances of uh, global conditions at the moment. But it's great to have a chance to talk to you again. Can you tell us something about what's been going on with these parliamentary elections? Because I think people have got little bits and pieces in the news, but not many people really follow Korean politics that closely, and they may not fully understand the significance of, of what's been happening this week. Uh, yes, of course. Um, thank you for having me. Um, so two days ago on April 15th, um, South Korean voted for a new parliament, and um, parliamentary elections are held every four years. Right. And um, the South Korean government decided not to postpone the elections. So like mm -hmm. in contrast to other um, countries, yes. uh, they decided to suspend the, or postpone the, part, uh, the elections. And um, I think that what we can see from now is that um, the rather really successful management of the COVID-19 crisis really mm -hmm. played into the hands of the ruling party. Mm -hmm. It benefited the ruling party. Um, it didn't look like that at the beginning of the year, especially in, in January, when the uh, approval rates for the Moon government dropped mm. um, due to a number of, of uh, let's say, failures. Yes. Um, but they have gone up, uh, especially then in, since March. And uh, now he uh, and his government um, enjoys really high approval rates. Mm -hmm. So um, what we, just to talk briefly about um, maybe the results. Yes. Um, so it was really a landslide victory for the ruling party, um, mm -hmm. the Democratic Party, which um, gained 163 out of 300 um, seats. Yes. Um, the National Assembly plus together with the votes, uh, the, the, the seats gained by its sister party or satellite party, it has now 180 seats. So it really has a comfortable majority in um, the National Assembly, not enough to um, amend the constitution for which you need um, a two thirds majority. But we could say that this was really a vote of confidence for um, the Moon government. So um, the, the ruling party is now um, really a super, uh, as, as South Korean media said, uh, super yodang, super ruling yes. um, What is, I think, also very interesting is that uh, voter turnout was really high. So it was right. the highest in yeah. 20 yeah. years in parliamentary elections, despite the COVID-19 pandemic, mm -hmm. um, and more than 66% 
of um, eligible voters went to the polls. So that's, I think it's really interesting. So apparently um, South Koreans felt secure enough, safe enough to um, go to the polling stations. Um, maybe what I could also add is that a few more women um, were elected into parliament. Um, right. Okay. So we're getting on to we're getting on to all the topics now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then um, regionalism remains still very strong. So the southwestern province uh, are still the stronghold of the Liberal Party and um, the Yongnam um, yes. southwestern provinces of the Conservative Party. And maybe two more things is that for the first time, a North Korean defector. Mm. Uh, Ho, the former deputy head of the uh, North Korean DPRK embassy in London, he was the first uh, defected to have won a seat through um, direct election. So there are at least two North Korean defectors now in the National Assembly. It's not the first time that a North right. Korean defector gets a seat in the National Assembly, but for this 21st legislature, there will be at least two. And then I guess we will also talk more about the electoral reform mm -hmm. uh, that did not have the intended effect. Um, right, yeah. right. Well, let me just go back a bit because there's got a lot of interesting points here that some people might uh, want slightly elucidated. Um, you did slip in there the phrase satellite party, and I've noticed in the, the media coverage of this election, there seem to be a couple of so-called satellite parties emerge. So, so what's a satellite party, uh, and, and what did that turn out to to do in terms of affecting the election result? Yeah, the satellite party is a kind of very creative interpretation of mm. the election law, the right. new election law that was adopted in December 2019. And, um, and satellite party is basically um, a sister party of uh, one of the two uh, major parties, so the Conservative Party and the Democratic Party. Mm. Um, they have created these parties um, for the proportional list, so uh, to gain extra seats. So basically, right. it meant that, um, and it, it was the Conservative Party who started first with that. In the beginning of February, they created mm -hmm. um, their sister or satellite party right. under a similar name, um, with also members of the parent party joining then the satellite party and then we expect that after now after the elections they will re-emerge re um, in the national assembly as one party right so this was sort of a, a, a game playing exercise to try to get more votes out of the party list system in other words exactly yes exactly. yeah so, I'm, I'm um, I'm familiar with that from Thailand, where, where some of the parties played a similar sort of game in the, in the 2019 elections. But it seemed like the Conservatives really did badly. This is their worst performance for decades. Why did their vote collapse so much, do you think? Um, I think that's, that's an interesting question. So um, first, I think it was because of the pandemic, and um, apparently many voters felt that the South Korean government, at least now, is managing it really well. Also seeing how um, other countries are really struggling um, with the pandemic. So they see that, okay, South Korea has really done a really good job for now. Um, um, secondly, I think what also, and related to the pandemic is that um, 
many countries are now looking at Korea, how they have successfully mm -hmm. managed um, the COVID-19 crisis or are yes. managing it. And I think that also gave an extra boost um, to the ruling party and the government. Um, and the, the Conservative Party, I mean, they first they said that this election would be a kind of referendum um, on uh, the politics of um, the Moon government mm -hmm. and also the other, let's say, more traditional topics like uh, foreign policy, yes. uh, economy, that all went a little bit in the background. Right, um, right. So more than, than in the past. So and it was... The, sorry. And, and they, the, the, the conservative candidates also did a lot of negative campaigning. So it was not really helpful in this um, context. Right. So it's more that the ruling party got a big vote of confidence and a big boost from their performance rather than anything in particular that, that the conservative side did. Yes. yes. They just and became a victim. Some of my colleagues um, are also arguing that um, there are indications that maybe the anti-communism and right-wing conservative conservatism are losing ground in mm -hmm. South Korea. So right. because they've been losing um, for now four elections in a row, I think so. Yes. Um, could be. Yeah. But I think that will be decided only in two or three, two years or so when we see what will happen with the South Korean economy, how they, um, the measures taken by the South Korean government will um, deal with the consequences of the pandemic for the South Korean economy and whether these measures will be successful. <clears throat> right. Now you've mentioned the, obviously the coronavirus pandemic that's in all of our minds for so many reasons at the moment. Um, and the, the fact that the South Koreans were able successfully to hold an election despite this pandemic going on. How did they pull that off? What was the what was the secret? I think Singapore's probably looking at it right now, uh, and not least the United States, which is facing a, a very big and important presidential election this year, and must be wondering how they're going to do this. So, are the lessons that we can learn from the South Korean election management experience during this, the pandemic? Yes, uh, they mobilized um, many more people, uh, civil servants, to, to support the staff at the polling stations. Um, and they took a number of measures um, to protect the voters. So uh, voters were asked to carry masks when they come to the polling mm -hmm. station. They had to keep a distance when queuing up. Um, yep. At the entrance, um, staff controlled the temperature mm -hmm. um, if it was higher than 37 Point five, um, voters had to go to a separate room with a voting voting booth and, mm. and vote there. Um, and then they also um, distributed hand sanitizers and disposable mm. plastic gloves. So, um, and then only people were allowed to to cast their ballot. So there were really um, strong uh, measures taken. And people in self-quarantine, they were allowed to vote after the polling stations had formally closed. Mm, mm. Others who were at home or already infected um, were allowed to vote by mail. Right. Only for uh, overseas Koreans, so eligible voters living outside of Korea, it was a bit difficult and apparently they did not keep this in mind. Mm. Um, we said about half of them were not able to vote. Um, because uh, the missions, the diplomatic missions were closed. 
right? Kind of problem. But overall, I think it, it is very impressive how yes. organize the elections in times of, of the pandemic. But it also remains to be seen if the infection rate now increases um, in the next days or, or weeks. Right, of course, yes. Uh, so when they set up the, the temperature taking operation, is that something like I certainly experienced during the SARS pandemic in Asia, where you'd go through an airport and they had these sort of speed camera type things pointing at you, which would take your temperature as you were walking past? Is that the kind of technology that they were able to deploy? No, they had this, um, how do you call this? this? sticks kind of sticks okay where staff was just waiting at the entrance and then um really controlling one by one so they just handed everybody a thermometer and took their temperature individually yeah. right individually yeah well that's an impressive feat to be able to pull off especially with a high turnout so clearly other countries will be very very interested in in that aspect exactly. the highest yeah. turnout yeah. in 28 years right so that's really impressive yeah now, you'd already mentioned this election law reform. I gather there was rather last-minute reform of the election laws in 2019 that was rather controversial. So perhaps you could give us a little bit of background on that and, and explain how that seemed to impact uh, the election as it turned out. Yes, the election law, uh, the reform was uh, adopted then in late December 2019. And I would like to talk about two major changes. These are mm. the minimum voting age was lowered from 19 years to 18. So mm. also the, the first change. And secondly, maybe more importantly, um, because it has more effects, I think, on these elections, um, is the reform of the proportional uh, representation list. So Korea yes. has a... South Korea's electoral system is a mixed system. So South Koreans have two votes, one for a candidate in the right. and one for a political party. And um, so in total, there are 300 seats in the National Assembly and 253 seats are allocated mm -hmm. through the single member constituency. So this is a winner takes all. Right. System. Yep. And the remaining 47 seats are proportional representation. So before the reform of the election law, parties must have had minimum of 3% of votes nationwide mm. to get um, a seat there, right. through a proportional representation. So um, the reform of last year um, changed the proportional system, how seats were distributed. So 17 seats were, are distributed as before, so minimum mm. of a certain uh, threshold. And the remaining 30 seats, this is new, are distributed according to um, a compensatory system. Right. So it means that political parties um, that have gained less seats than their popular vote would predict are compensated by extra seats. Mm -hmm. um, and this new law's objective original objective was to reduce this proportionality. For example, um, especially that, that, that happens in, in, in majoritarian systems, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for example, and uh, the Justice Party in this election gained 10% of votes. And with this proportional list reform, they would have gained also about 10% 10% of seats mm -hmm. or a bit less. 
less than 10%, but at least more seats than they have gained, would have right. gained before the reform and even now. So, and I come now to the problem. Um, so this electoral reform was really supported by especially minor parties, and the mm -hmm. Justice Parties was one of those right. driving this. Um, and the, it was very controversial, as you said, and especially the Conservative Party was against it. Um, so there was some kind of fisticuffs in the parliament or so, some yes, physical uh, showdown. <laughs> regular fisticuffs. Yes, a regular event there. Yeah. Um, so because of the good intentions and objectives of this new uh, law, many more minor parties were established mm -hmm. at the beginning of this year. So there were, um, I think, 35 parties on the, the second ballot paper which was yes. almost 50 centimeters long. So a lot, of, <laughs> right. a lot of parties there. And they had also very similar names and that was really confusing to voters as well. Right. So, right. Um, so but what happened was that beginning of this year, I mentioned it already, um, the conservative party um, that was not on the PR list um, established its own satellite or sister party so that the sister party a small minor party would run on the pr list uh -huh. to get the votes for the parent party right and this put the democratic party the ruling party in a kind of dilemma because of course they it was them who really wanted to have this electoral reform um but on the other hand they didn't want that the conservatives get more votes through this tactic. Um, right. So then they also decided to have not, uh, it was kind of a civil society group, but still uh -huh. they also decided to have their own uh, satellite party. Right. With a similar name. So, um, and as I said before, so both parent party and satellite or sister party would merge later in, in parliament. And, um, so what was the net result? Yeah, the thing, yes. exactly, the thing is that um, um, the reform of the election law did not have the intended results. And it, on the contrary, it strengthened the two-party system. Because through the, um, the satellite parties, the, for example, the, the Conservative Party got another 19 seats. Mm -hmm. And the Democratic Party gained another 17 seats through yes. the representation. So they grew bigger um, thanks to their satellite parties. And other smaller minor parties, they didn't get anything. And for right. example, the Justice Party, as I mentioned before, they had 10% of votes, but only got 2% of seats, which was not the intention of the, the electoral law. So some people even said that the um, ruling the, the ruling party and the conservative party, the major parties, instrumentalized or hijacked. Yeah, right. So, so, so the executive summary would be a reform that was intended to diversify support and create opportunity for more parties ended up actually playing into the hands of the two largest parties. Exactly. Yes, I see. I guess another you know, really salient issue in the Korean context is the question of um, gender representation and parity, which is obviously an important one for us here in the Nordic region. I know that in the past, South Korea hasn't had the best 
gender representation in the parliament. Do we have a, a, anything positive to report on that front at least? Yes, there is some improvement. Um, so South Korea is still one of the lowest, uh, ranks still is one of the lowest in terms of um, um, female um, um, representatives in, in parliament among OECD countries. Um, only Japan uh, scores worse. Uh, and also worldwide, so, um, mm. but there is improvement and yes. as you know from other countries, it takes time. So when right. you compare the situation with 28 years before, so in 1992, there were only 1.3% wow. of um, yep. National Assembly uh, seats um, for, for women, uh, held by women, and 28 years later, we are now by 90%. So okay. According to the first uh, data I got from the National Election Commission, it's now 57 women. Okay. 29 women were no. directly elected um, in constituency, single member districts, um, and 28 were elected through proportional list. But I have to add that for the proportional list, there is a law, there's a 50% quota. So political parties mm -hmm. really must nominate 50% of um, their party list with women. Right. Quota does not exist for um, single member districts. Yes. So uh, there's a recommendation of 30%, but it's not compulsory. Right. And in this April 15 elections, 2020, um, only 20% of women were, 20% um, uh, of the 1,100 something candidates um, were women. So um, still, there's a way to go. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It is maybe also worth mentioning that there were more women who um, um, gained a seat for the Democratic Party than for the Conservatives. Right. So there's progress. It's incremental progress, but at least it's a that that's a move in the right direction. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, I think, as I mentioned, many of us thinking about South Korean politics think primarily of these various presidents, um, many of whom have been complicated, controversial figures who've had slightly ignominious ends, and we haven't really been so aware of what goes on in the parliament. What's really the importance of the parliamentary uh, system within the Korean political system? Is it very dominated by the presidency, or is there uh, a high degree of power sharing between the, the legislature and the executive? No, so the, the, the executive, executive is very strong in, in mm -hmm. South Korea. So South Korea has a presidential system and the president is elected every five years yes. um, for one term, non-renewable. Um, but it matters whether the, the government basically has support of the National Assembly. So if the opposition party has a majority in the National Assembly, it's really difficult to get bills passed. Right. Um, and um, as I said before, um, voter, voter turnout is always higher in presidential elections than yes. in legislative elections. So um, um, in this case, yeah. So there is, of course, of, officially there's uh, power sharing and, and so on, but still through informal ways, um, the executive can have a lot of influence on the National Assembly and how 
you know, bills are voted and so on. But it's much easier for the executive to get things done if they have, of course, the majority uh, support in the National right. Assembly. So this means there's not what the, the, the French would call cohabitation, where you've got two, part, two opposite parties in the two entities that are then feuding with each other. It's much easier if you have uh, a exactly. coalition between the, the, uh, those who are running the country on, on both the executive and the legislature. So yes. where does this leave us? Um, as far as I know, it's, it's five-year terms and no, uh, no renewal. It's a bit like the Philippine presidential system. You only get one shot of being president, and we're almost three years into the current presidency, so there's about two years to go. Where does this parliamentary election leave things in terms of the presidential election that should take place, I guess, in 2022? Yes, 2022. So um, I think now with this uh, really comfortable majority, um, the Moon government can now really proceed um, with what they had planned to do already mm -hmm. before. Um, and possibly it will be able to avoid this lame duck period, so the last right. time period of, of the term. So I expect that we will see um, more things happening now and more policies to be really uh, implemented. Um, by also the, the National Assembly. And um, of course, what now it's of course too early to say um, how this will sorry, play out for the um, presidential election, mm. but um, we have, to, I think the very important point is the economy. So yes. how the government is going to manage the, con the negative consequences of the COVID-19 um, pandemic for the economy. Um, the IMF a few days ago um, predicted that the South Korean economy was going to shrink 1.2%. Uh, and mm -hmm. um, it remains to be seen how the government, despite some really big packages that they now uh, adopted to, to stabilize the economy, how they are going to deal with the economic, economic but also social challenges of this mm -hmm. crisis. And also, I think what will play into um, are how um, inter-Korean relations are going to develop and how right. denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula will develop. Yes. But most importantly, I would say it's really the economy. So if the question whether the, the measures to stimulate the economy taken by the government will pay off, um, so measures were taken to, to stabilize um, businesses and also private households, but if this is successful, I expect that um, the Democratic Party will um, have good chances to, to bring up the next president. Right. They're certainly well positioned. I mean, are there obvious candidates who have come to prominence perhaps in, in the last couple of years during some of these various issues, the, whether it be the political reform or the um, coronavirus, people who are sort of president, potential presidential candidates in waiting? Um, so often we look in how um, wins the race in Jongnogu in Seoul, in yes. Seoul. Right. And um, here it was the, the um, candidate of the Democratic Party, the former Prime Minister Lee mm -hmm. um, who ran against the former Prime Minister uh, Hwang Yuan, who was Prime mm -hmm. Minister under Park Geun Yes. And <clears throat> so he could, at least through his victory in Jongnogu. He has really good 
chances to become right. a to condemn. Right. But in two years, many things can happen. Of course. And yes. Up, so he can fall also very easily um, within of these course. two years. Yes. Um, but he would certainly be someone uh, to watch. Someone to watch, yeah. Yes. Well, that's great. Uh, well, in these somewhat dark times, there's a, there's a bit of good news in this story. It's, it's fantastic that the South Koreans were able to hold this election and, and get a clear result and make some progress in a, a number of areas. And thanks very much for sharing your uh, thoughts and ideas about the election with us, Sabine. Yeah, thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.